at a time when investors are confronted with market volatility and a variety of challenges fueled by the uncertainty of inflation, unsettled geopolitical tensions, and economic pressures, Justin Klein and Steve Peasley stand ready to take your finance and investment questions and share their unbiased answers. This is Invest Talk, independent thinking, shared success. Invest Talk is made possible by KPP Financial, a registered investment advisor firm serving clients throughout the United States. The clarity for your path forward starts now. Here is KPP Chief Executive Officer, Financial Advisor, Justin Klein. Good afternoon, fellow investors, and welcome back to Invest Talk. This is our Monday, December 18th, 2023 edition. And I'm Justin Klein, and I don't want to alarm anybody, but we are one week away from Christmas. That's it. And to celebrate that one week away from Christmas milestone, Luke Guerrero is back with us. Luke, are you ready for Christmas? Well, the way you put it, it sounds like I'm our listeners' Christmas present this year, which I hope is not true. Uh, I, I'm sure they're going to get something much better. Hopefully. <laughs> well, we're, we're here for the uh, next hour to help all of you make better decisions with your money. Uh, we have a lot to unpack. It was... I wouldn't say it was an interesting day. It was kind of a ho-hum day, to be honest with you. We're in those last two weeks of the year, which do tend to be somewhat slow, somewhat low volume. And that's what the Santa Claus rally tends to be about. And our goal is to answer your finance and investment questions as well as bring some relevant topics that will further your education and help you make better decisions with your money. Now, before we talk about the market performance today and run down our show topics, we are going to answer our first caller question now. Hey, guys, this is Chance in Knoxville, Tennessee. I can honestly say I wouldn't be investing on my own without your podcast, so I really appreciate you guys. My question is regarding tax lots. When selling shares, how do you decide which tax lots to sell? I understand there are probably a multitude of scenarios, but I'm having trouble making that decision when I'm looking at uh, trimming profits, for example. If you could provide some general guidance around this, I would love to hear your advice. Thanks. Well, that all depends on your goals here. How much tax loss are you trying to take? Is it long-term or short-term? You know, to pick the lots, you have to have an end goal in mind. I'm offsetting X amount of gains or... Or maybe I want to take some losses in, you know, uh, on my income and carry some forward. Maybe it's a rebalancing position um, that, that you're, you're, you're trying to take as well, where, where you're killing two birds with one stone, where you're taking tax, loss, uh, tax losses as well as rebalancing the portfolio. But, you know, there's, there's not a general guideline besides what your tax goals are. That's why someone generally tends to do tax loss selling. Would you add anything on top of that, Luke? Yeah, I think I would just add that, 
you should never be too concerned about over tax loss selling if you're trying to trim a position. And that's because you can carry your capital loss carry forwards onto the next year and beyond uh, if you have more losses than you have for gains that year. So certainly don't be concerned if you oversell as long as you're within the bounds of what you're trying to accomplish to rebalance your portfolio. Yeah. And then what do you want left? Do you want the, what you have left to be short term or are you trying to take longer term losses? You know, it just depends on what your what your goals are there. Um, typically, you want to save the long-term gains or the long-term lots for when you have gains, right? You'd rather have a short-term loss versus a long-term gain. So um, and that's one way to think about it as well. All right, we have a lot of... A lot to cover over the next 40 minutes, and we have a few things planned for you. One is a story set up by this question. Can the stock market rally offer an opportunity for you to execute a strategic chess move? And hint, hint, it does relate to that call, but the corollary to it. So we're going to talk about rebalancing your portfolio after this stock market rally and look at long-term capital gains and short-term capital gains as well. We also want to touch a bit on hedge funds. There has been a a big shift in the way these massive hedge funds are run over the past five to seven years. And we're going to look at the recent trends and whether those gains that were, were so attractive during that time are starting to fade. Okay. We're also going to look at private equity and how you know, the deals are fading and that's going to impact the, that performance as well. And then lastly, companies are having a difficult time diversifying out of China completely. And this tells a broader story basically about how it's going to take a little while for supply chains to truly diversify out of China. We moved in there over a 25, 30 year period. Companies across many industries, started exporting uh, to China, and they're trying to reverse it. But you don't reverse something that took 30 years to create. You don't reverse that in a year or two. So we're going to look at that story as well. We also have some voice bank questions. One is in regards to Roth 401k versus Roth IRA, as well as analog devices, ADI. And since it's Monday, I'll fit in a newest perspective on global GDP. And I hope to get to an iTunes review question as well. Now, let's take a look at the market performance today. As we said at the top of the show, Luke, not a very exciting day overall. Small caps were down slightly. Mid caps were up slightly. Large caps were at a decent day after underperforming for most of the past couple of weeks. Anything of note that you saw? Yeah, nothing really of note except it doesn't seem the market – it doesn't seem as though – the market really shifted in any way, given some of the language coming out of members of the Fed uh, over Friday and over Monday that were cautioning investors from believing that interest rate cuts or a real pivot is going to happen anytime soon. But I mean, that's to be expected, given that around the holidays, you tend to have lower conviction traders, low, low, low liquidity, and therefore not big swings unless there's some outrageous market event. Yeah, the dollar was flat today. You had gold 
up slightly. You had the 10-year. That was maybe the biggest mover. That was only up 2.5 basis points, still below the 4% mark on the 10-year. So despite that rhetoric, Luke, that you spoke about on Friday, uh, the the market hasn't moved too much uh, in, in reaction to that. So they're still kind of holding those gains that we saw from the Fed announcement. And overall, the technicals are fine. Market's a little bit overbought, but this doesn't tend to be a, a, a time of year where you get a lot of market volatility. You know, the pullback in August, September, October, that is seasonality. Uh, seasonally, it's a time where you do get volatility. Um, so it, it's hard to get some traction to the downside when uh, people are kind of closing up shop and, and, uh, ready to head into the new year, focused on uh, Christmas and and, and the new year. And then you could typically get some more volatility potentially back in the first quarter. So that's where we're at. And that's how the market performed today. Now, reminder, as we go to break of our holiday giveaway contest, it's a free autographed copy of Steve's book, Above Average Investing for the Average Investor. It's a no-nonsense beginner's guide to the world of buying and selling stocks. To enter the contest, subscribe to our YouTube channel, follow us on Instagram, and like our holiday giveaway post and tag three friends in the comments. We're going to pick one winner each day until the end of the year. Now, our phone lines are open, waiting for your questions at 888-99-CHART. Every investor is working to build a secure financial future. Would this be an opportune time to get into annuities? Everyone's situation is different. Get your thoughts on CRM, Salesforce. And so are their questions. And I was just calling for your assessment of Blackstone Incorporated. To get your take on Chewy. Ticker symbol L-E-C-O. Just wanted to get your opinion on JP Morgan. Invest Talk hosts Justin Klein. You know, I'm okay paying fair price for a very good business. Steve Peasley. It's a very well-run company. And now Luke Guerrero. EBITDA growth is significantly higher than its competitors. Are ready to provide their unbiased answers. Each podcast is unique and you set the agenda. I will. Hey, hi, Steve. 24-7, rain or shine, Invest Talk is made better by the power of you. Call 888-99-CHART. The stock market is volatile. It's constantly changing. So how are you positioned? Is your portfolio properly balanced or are you taking unnecessary risks? You can get guidance anytime for free if you go to investtalk.com and take the brief risk alize quiz. Hi, this is Andrew from New Hampshire and I was evaluating two companies in the analog chip market analog devices and Texas Instruments. And in leaning towards investing in Texas Instruments seems to be a really well-run company. My question is about valuation. I'm having a hard time settling on what is a good value for a good price for getting into Texas Instruments or adding to my position. And I'd love your insight on that. Thanks. Are right, looking at Texas Instruments and compared to analog devices, 
And I agree with your sentiment that Texas Instruments is just a more consistent, well-run business. Look at the history of earnings. It's just kind of down into the, to, uh, up into the right, excuse me, up into the right. And it, analog devices, its business is a little choppier. And I don't love that. Now, the question is from a valuation perspective, is it cheap enough? Well, enterprise value to EBITDA on going forward on Texas Instruments is somewhere around the 16, 17 range. Historically, that's about average over the last five years. The median is 17.3. The average is 16 and a half. So I don't think it's really far off, Luke. What are you seeing? What, do, you, do you agree with me that uh, Texas Instruments is the better business? Yeah, I think Texas, Texas Instruments is certainly the more consistent business. Uh, looking at valuations, it looks like it ticked up a little bit in the past month, but I mean, there's been, been a bit of big run-up in the market in general, so that kind of makes sense to me. I think it's pretty reasonably valued, but I would just say that given there's been a big run-up in asset prices generally, maybe wait for a slight pullback to, to enter into it. Yeah, it's definitely overbought most things in the market. Yeah. are overbought and at least need to consolidate and, and and probably pull back but you know and this is an area where you're going to start getting into getting into a lot of congestion we look at in charts something called volume at price which is basically where um, where there's been a lot of volume traded at that particular price and what happens is when the stock is if the stock has dropped and it's rallied back into that there are a lot of people that are now back to even right they were down 20 30 percent and now that it's rallying back and what happens, you tend to get some overhead supply of shares saying, oh, I'm back to even. It's that natural way that most amateurs deal with selling. And that tends to uh, bring some some uh, resistance. And that's going to come in on Texas Instruments. It already has a little bit around the 170 level, which it's uh, hanging around right now. But it really comes in at about 176. So I think it's going to take a little time of backing and filling for this all to really find power to get through, but it's a good business. And while earnings are coming back in this year and next year, I like the lack of debt on its balance sheet. Really has $3 billion of net debt in its balance sheet on a $152 billion market cap. That's basically no debt, okay? Free cash flow of 1.6 billion. That's about a 10% free cash flow yield. That's really nice as well. So uh, I wouldn't, be too worried about getting in at a bargain basement price. You missed that right down around 140. But if this pulls back into the low 160s, that 167 now, I think that's fine to, to pick it up there. Now, when people take the time to leave an Invest Talk podcast review on iTunes, we'd like to thank them for their courtesy by getting to the questions quickly. The Puma 51 says, Was meme delisted? I never had money in it, but found it interesting to follow. Uh, was this? I have no, I don't remember this one, Luke. Do you remember a meme ETF? Uh, I'm seeing a meme ETF. I certainly oh, don't Hill remember meme. it at all. Yeah, I'm not seeing it on my screens anymore. At least on my uh, my charts. Oh yeah, there is meme. E Looks like it probably is gone. Yeah, I think it's gone. Yeah, and it's not shocking. You know these. This is a fat ETF. It was just trying to get in with all of the amateurs that were trying to play the meme stocks and saying, here, you just buy this and we're playing the meme stocks for you. But like most things, 
fads come and they and they end quickly. So, uh, yeah, interesting to follow, but more of a lesson for everyone out there. All right, we're heading to a break. Give me a call at 888-99-CHART. Your objective is to work hard, plan well, and achieve financial freedom, right? You're in luck because Justin Klein is here now, ready to take your finance and investment questions. Call 888-99-CHART. Before we get to the, the, the main focus point today, I want to just comment on that memes, that meme ETF, M-E-M-E. And it looks like the last day of trading was last Tuesday. And interesting enough, it launched in December of 2021, right near the market peak. And Luke, uh, during the break, you listed off some of the top holdings. Do you have that in front of you still? I do. So that would have been Marathon Digital, Affirm, Upstart, Carvana, Coinbase, Riot Platforms, Robinhood, SoFi, Rivian, and GameStop. So it, uh, those are the story stocks, right? That's what they are. They're story stocks, and the story stocks are no longer in vogue. And this launched at $82 per share. And it closed up shop around $38.51. And what happens with ETFs, new ETFs, new funds in general, there's, there's costs to running them, keeping them registered, keeping them in compliance, doing the trading, et cetera. And if they don't garner enough assets, they're no longer worth running. And then they just close up shop, give the investors back their money. And that looks like what happened here. But it just goes to show you that Think about the end of 2021, how big of a story the GameStops of the world were, how hot that trade was. And when you get these funds that are following those particular trends, you're almost guaranteed six six months, a year, 18 months later, you're going to be down because that is a fad. And it's not a real way to invest. This was all about pure, pure, pure speculation. And in a world where the cost of capital is something, again, pure speculation isn't going to work nearly as well. So that's kind of the lesson that you can take from that meme stock ETF that is now defunct. Now, our main focus point is set up by this question. Can the stock market rally offer an opportunity for you to execute a strategic chess move? And this is the time of year, Luke, where most people are thinking about tax loss harvesting. And it's natural. But very few people are thinking about tax gain harvesting. And basically, this is when you take capital gains on purpose in order to lock in a lower tax rate. For example, this year, if you're single and you make less than $44,625, or sorry, let me say adjusted gross income. Your adjusted gross income is less than $44,625. Or if you're married and it's below $89,250, you are in the 0% capital gains tax bracket. Meaning you can go take long-term capital gains, And you don't pay anything on it. So while most people are worried about 
paying taxes on gains. It depends on your tax bracket, just like when you think about putting money into an IRA versus a Roth IRA, for example. So this is under discussed that taxable accounts, a lot of people downplay them, but in certain instances, it can make a lot of sense to take gains in a taxable account. Yeah, and I think what people have to realize too is typically when you do tax loss harvesting, you have wash sale restrictions, right? Which means you can't sell a security or and then repurchase that same security or a like security within the next 30 days or it essentially offsets that loss that you harvested. It doesn't reset the cost basis either. But when you're doing tax gain harvesting, that's actually not the case. You can buy and sell something on the same day and it's going to reset the cost basis. So that's that's just an, an interesting loophole trick, if you will, within the tax code that can benefit people in this situation. Yeah, if you lost your job, you or maybe you retired, I think this is the most underappreciated part of somebody's financial life is that time between retirement and having to take your RMDs and Social Security. Because if you take Social Security, most people, if they have the wherewithal, should probably wait till 70. And then you have to take RMDs at 73. That combined can mean you puts you in a high tax bracket. But between retirement and those dates, you're not earning much income. And that's a time where you can do Roth conversions, you can do tax gain harvesting like that, knowing that in the future, you're going to be above those thresholds. So that's something just to think about that the end of the year isn't just for harvesting those losses. And I know for most people, that's probably the case. You make more than that. It doesn't apply to you this year, but in future years, it might. So always think about both sides of the tax ledger. Uh, gains can be a nice strategic chess move as uh, the title of this uh, th- this topic indicates. Right. Now, in the next Invest Talk, we'll look into this question. Could NVIDIA stocks suffer the same fate as Cisco? NVIDIA may be riding a wave of interest in artificial intelligence as its chips play a dominant role in the technology. But more broadly, stocks are still recovering from the 2022 bear market. So we're going to look at, a, at the similarities and differences between two dominant tech stocks with huge rallies. And basically, this is showing, we're going to discuss how if you look at Cisco, it was the darling of the first tech bubble 1.0 in 99 and 2000. And it took over 20 years for Cisco stock to get back to the same price it was at the peak of the mania in, in 1999. So uh, in video, is it going to suffer the same fate? We'll talk about that tomorrow. But for now, I'm Justin Klein with Luke Guerrero. I'm ready to take your calls at 888-99-CHART. Let's say you've been thinking about learning a new language. Okay, why? I mean, how would it come in handy? And where would you want to use it? Could it be that you have an upcoming international trip? Or maybe you want to connect with family members or friends from a different culture. I think you should know about Rosetta Stone. With millions of users, it's been the world's most trusted language learning program for 30 years. Rosetta Stone is available on your desktop or as an app with audio companion and the ability to download lessons offline. 
Rosetta Stone truly immerses you in the language you want to learn. It has a built-in, patented speech recognition engine called True Accent. So as you practice speaking, you'll get feedback on how well you pronounce words. With Rosetta Stone, you pick up a language naturally, first with words, then phrases, then sentences. It's an intuitive process designed for long-term retention. You really learn to speak, listen, and think in your new language. Rosetta Stone is an amazing value, so your special skill set is within easy reach. You know you want to do this, so don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, InvestTalk listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com today. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off now at rosettastone.com today. Everybody wants a secure financial future, but getting there takes strategy, discipline, and the right information. That means you'll have finance and investment questions. Justin Klein is ready to provide his unbiased answers. So don't forget to call InvestTalk, 888-99-CHART. Hey, this is John from Georgia. I was just wondering what you guys thought about TK Tankers, ticker symbol TNK. I own it right now. I plan on holding it for long term, but I just wonder what your outlook was for this stock. Thank you. Oh, the shippers. TK Tanker has been around a long time. $1.7 billion market cap. And they're crushing it as of late. So it's earned $15.34 this year, up from $6.39 last year, but only $10.53 going forward. But even then, if you're talking about a $50 stock price, that looks pretty cheap. Five times forward-looking earnings, Luke. Is this the bargain that it seems to be? I mean, frankly, I'm not seeing anything that I dislike. Cash flow has been on the rise over the past year. Profitability has been on the rise over the past year. They've had some decent earnings upgrades over the past couple months. They've been issuing some shares. They have a decent amount of debt given its size. That may be a little bit of a concern, but overall, the business seems to be doing well. Well, the business is doing well right now. The question is, how long will that really last? And historically, it's been all over the place. 2017 and 18, they lost the substantial amount of money. 2020, they made a bunch of money, lost money again in 2021, and then back up again as of late. Historically, these tanker companies, their business is all over the board, and they it's either feast or famine. And for TK, they operate in the oil oil space they provide marine services to the global oil and natural gas industries and as you have more geopolitical risk and energy needs to move around the world oil mainly but also the liquefied natural gas uh ships on top of that they're going to do well so the argument here is that the geopolitical trends are going to keep this business very profitable. But history says that you you can't extrapolate what you're seeing now because 
they're a price taker. They're just going to be given what the market gives them when it comes to pricing. And that's, there's a lot of, a lot of whims that can happen, uh, that, that play into that pricing. So I don't know if I would say I'm a long-term holder of this. I don't like the price action today, to be frank. You had a big reversal on volume. It started at $53 and change, closed at 50 and change. Don't love that. Now, medium term, it's an uptrend. So you you can say that, you know, you ride that wave, but it's not something that I would say I'm buying and holding just forever because I just don't love the history going back, you know, a decade plus of this business. Thanks for the call. Now, our perspective today looks at market caps of various various companies uh, that are traded in various countries. And we're going to look back 122 years from 1900 to 2022. And as of 2022, the U.S. accounted for 59% of the global stock market capitalization, but only 21% of GDP, where China, it was kind of flipped. 4% of global stock market capitalization and 16% of global GDP. Now, look, most people will look at that and say, that doesn't make sense. But it does make sense when you look at the structure of their economies, right? Yeah, no, that does make sense. And I think if, you, if you're also thinking about who, what the stock market is, and that's really a reflection of, of purchases made by, by people and where wealth has been concentrated over the past century and the tendency of people to have home biases, I think you would, you, it would make sense to me that the U.S. accounted uh, for 59% of the global stock market capitalization, even though that may be an overshare given its representation of GDP. Yeah, obviously the wealth is here concentrated in the U.S. and people tend to invest in domestic companies. But also, what also matters on top of that is the maturity of the markets in each country. And that's based on the the regulatory environment and how easy it is for companies to raise capital. And then the economic composition as well. For example, if you have a lot of very small businesses, say in China, you have a lot of agricultural businesses that are never large enough or more are profitable enough to be listed on an exchange. And you have it. And so naturally, your market cap to GDP ratio is going to be flipped. Whereas here in the US, while we do have a large part of our economy is small businesses, still roughly 50% of employees work for big businesses. And so those are factors that really play into how large of a share of global G or global market cap a country tends to have. Now, if you go back to 1900, the UK was the largest, 24.2% of the global stock market versus only 9.2% of global GDP. So remember, the UK had a more vibrant, you know, London was the global financial capital in the 1800s, whereas it took 
until uh, 1945 when our dominance really took over. Now, in 1901, we did finally have a higher share of the global stock market than the than the UK, but our GDP was at 18%. It was nearly double the UK at that time, and we just surpassed it. Now, jump ahead to 2022. We had about 21% of, G, of GDP, 59.6% of global stock market cap, and Japan was second, 6.3% of global market cap, but only 4.4% of GDP. Why is that? Because a lot of Japanese companies actually produce overseas. So it doesn't count towards their, their GDP, but those companies still own those assets overseas. For example, right, Toyota, Honda, they produce a lot in the U.S. South, Southeast. Now, the U.S. is home to 31 of the 50 most valuable companies in the world from a bunch of different industries. So there's always going to be a discrepancy, but understand that that discrepancy is for a reason. So don't think you'll probably see headlines and think that that's way off and it should never be like that. Well, yes, it should, because GDP is only one factor that goes into the value of the companies listed on an exchange in a particular country. Now let's pivot back to the Stock Voice Bank at 888.99 chart. Hi, Steve or Justin. My name is Blank from Chicago. I'm saying Blank to be funny because just in case they hear, I have a little bit more of a financial question actually. Not necessarily directly related to stocks, but I'm wondering if I should sell my stock to pay off a debt. I know we talk about, well, you all talk about the Dave Ramsey and you know, the way that he really attacks debt and, and have like uh, your views on that. I will actually just today put my two weeks in at work for mental health reasons, which is why I didn't want to mention my name. Um, I was just in, you know, a work environment that made me feel like I should transition off. Thankfully, I do have a job offer from another company and I'm about to, you know, confirm and say yes, we're just negotiating salary. Um, and, you know, I start that up on like January 3rd, right after the holidays. So that would be, you know, perfect. So I, it, would, it would be perfect timing, basically. Um, but I did just put in my two weeks. So they are, you know, more famous for letting you off. I have exactly enough money to pay off my credit card debt, about $4,000. If I take my savings, my checkings, and then my Robinhood portfolio, which I don't want my stuff on Robinhood anymore. I was going to roll that over to maybe like uh, a Roth IRA anyway. So maybe I could just start that up, you know, and just roll it over, completely pay off out of that debt, and then just go into the holiday season knowing at least I already have Christmas gifts, you know? So I just wanted your opinion on that. You guys were the first people I thought of uh, on my way home. So thank you so much. I called into the show once before, and at this point, I'm a long-time listener. You guys are just on my Spotify rap as my number two podcast. So thank you so much for being with me all year and I'll see you guys in 2024. Well, good luck with the the new gig. And I think the simple answer is yes, your credit card debt is likely accruing at something like 15 to 20% annually. And it, you aren't going to earn that. I, I don't want to say you're going, not going to earn it. You are... The odds of you earning that much over the next year in equities is less than 
that's just those are just the odds. Certainly that can happen, but those are just the odds. So it does make more sense to you know, liquidate from Robinhood, close your account, just get rid of it, and then you can just kind of start new, maybe with your new 401k at your job, and pay off that debt. I think that's a, a good way to go and start fresh with that new 401k, new job in the new year. Now let's talk a little bit about the hedge fund industry. And there's been a rise of what is what are called multi-manager hedge funds. And Citadel is at the top of the list here, one of the largest, most successful hedge fund managers of all time. In fact, by profits, dollar profits, it is. And they had a record-breaking 2022, but things are not looking nearly as good this year. And mainly that's because of the structure of the way these hedge funds operate. First off, they use a lot of leverage. And when money is cheap, borrowing money for leverage just doesn't cost a lot. Now it costs a lot, a lot more at least. And that kind of saps the ultimate returns that these these strategies are producing. Now, what the multi-manager hedge fund setup looks like is they have a bunch of different strategies that they test out. They have a ton of different managers. And if you do well one year, guess what? You get more money. And money kind of funnels into the, the strong performers. Now, what worries me here, Luke, about this, and, and maybe that's why they're having a tough time this year, is that those that those strategies that might have worked well in a zero percent interest rate environment don't work as well as well. And then on top of that, you have the different style factors that are working over the past couple of years versus the previous, uh, you know, decade plus. So the big question is. Do you think that this structure will continue to pay off? Well, I think it's difficult for it to continue to be as prevalent as it is for multiple reasons. The first is because they have to offer absurd competitive pay for talent. So with this multi-manager model and because of the proliferation of hedge funds, there's more and more people competing for a very slim amount of managers. That's that's one issue. Another issue, I think, is something that you and I talked about a couple times in the past month or so, and that is the uh, sheer number of active ETFs that are now available to investors. And so investors that want to invest in more of an active way in the market can do so at far lower costs than they could historically. And these hedge funds are incredibly expensive, sometimes charging, you know, two and 20, three and 30. So a two to 3% in terms of the AUM and then 20 to 30% in profits. So I just don't think going forward, especially uh, when you can't lever up as much and returns can't be as outsized if strategies are successful, investors would be willing to pay that with all of the options that they have available to them today. And then I think you add on top of that a potential for regulatory scrutiny. You know, long-term capital management, the collapse of that in 1988 became systemic in a way, or at least the Fed thought it was so systemic that they needed a $3.6 billion bailout. And Gary Gensler has actually spoken out, the head of the SEC, uh, that their the leverage in this in, in these industries uh, can could cause issues, and 
you know, I think there's a lot of headwinds going forward for this space. And it just shows you that, that uh, the era of private investments garnering so much assets throughout the years uh, is suddenly hitting, I don't want to say a brick wall, but it, it's starting to slow dramatically. Uh, and, and that's natural when performance just simply is not there. Uh, new markets are uh, new opportunities, as you said, with those active ETFs are coming uh, on board as well. And in many ways, these hedge funds trade in similar crowded trades. And that is kind of what blew up long-term capital management and could be a potential for that next uh, next phase of market volatility. And the big question is, will it go out with a whimper or a bang? And uh, we shall see. Now, the fourth quarter is rapidly closing. Only two more weeks left in the year. And the question is, are you prepared for 2024? Guess what? It's going to be different than this year. Every year has a different color to it, but that's on a cyclical basis. But there are secular trends that uh, are important to understand as well. So if you need help understanding if your portfolio is positioned for those secular trends, I encourage you to reach out to our company, KPP Financial, where we operate with the same philosophy as we do on air, which is independent thinking and shared success. And we practice parallel investing, which means we invest right alongside our clients. So to set up a free portfolio review assessment, all you have to do is head over to investtalk.com, click on the portfolio review button in the top right-hand part of the screen. Now we're heading into our final break. So if you are going to call, you need to do that right now at 888-99-CHART. This is InvestTalk. For serious investors, it's all about achieving financial freedom. That's why the unbiased guidance offered by Steve and Justin is so valuable. The InvestTalk Anytime listener lines are open now, and Steve and Justin welcome your questions. Call 888-99-CHART. Hello, this is Jeff calling from San Jose, California. I was calling to ask about Ardmore Shipping Corporation, A as in Apple, S as in Sam, D as in Charlie. It's um, transportation of petroleum and chemicals. I'm calling as it seems like a lot of the technicals look really good, easily covered dividend, and given some of the risk, I'd say, in shipping right now, we've seen a few attacks on ships, escalation in the Middle East, as well as uncertainty in the world. I know that adds risk, but does that also add potential reward for increased shipping costs that can benefit the company? Again, the symbol is ASC, and I look forward to hearing your response on the pod. Thank you, and have a good day. Well, this is Admore Shipping, and they do something very similar to a previous caller looking at TK Shipping. Uh, now, they're a bit different in they transport both petroleum and chemicals as opposed to TK was petroleum and natural gas. So a little bit different. But what I see here technically, and that was your kind of your first comment, that the technicals are, are looking pretty good. I would beg to differ. I zoom out to a weekly chart. This peaked back in the first quarter of this year and bottomed in the summer and has been rallying ever since, but still below where it was for, for most of the first quarter. And so I see the technicals as actually modestly bearish 
You know, you could argue they're neutral, but uh, I would say they're modestly bearish. And Ardmore has the same issue as TK, is that historically, this has not been a very good business. Yes, they're making good money now, but they lost money in 2017, in 2018, in 2019, barely made money in 2020, lost money in 2021. So based on, yeah, forward-looking earnings, you're talking about a five, six times multiple, but I want something that has a history of more consistent profitability, and it's just not there for me, Luke. Yeah, and I think you see that in its profitability over the past year has fallen pretty dramatically, actually. So I, I tend to agree with you. I think the point the caller made about increased risk potentially being increased return, maybe, but that 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 would include the market pricing in those risks in such a way that would probably have some deep fall off in the price mm-hmm. that would discount it for those risks. And I don't really, I don't really see that. This has been pretty flat over the past four or five months. Um, so at, at the current price, given where its profitability is going, I'd have to pass. Absolutely. And don't chase that dividend when it's yielding 8% like right, right now, that's it's yielding that for a reason because it's high risk. Okay. Now, lastly, let's talk about China. And China's Chinese supply chains. And what's interesting is how companies are trying to diversify out of China. And basically what's happening is it's just making supply chains more complex. And this is a study by the Bank of International Settlements. And it found that supply chains between China and the U.S. have turned more complicated as more trades get rerouted through other places. So a lot of times they're still, they're still, they still have, uh, they still have, components that are made in China, but the end product is not. And this is really to get around a lot of tariffs that were put in place in 2018. So what you're seeing is that even Chinese companies are deploying capital in other Southeast Asian countries in order to uh, get around these tariffs. Now, according to U.S. data, China accounted for just 13.3% of U.S. goods imported during the first six months of this year. That's the lowest level since 2003. The peak was in 2017 at 21.6%. And direct U.S. investment in China has hit a 20-year low of $8.2 billion last year. So this is a trend that is, is, is not changing. I still think there is going to be a more a broader diversification of supply chains and Chinese companies many times are going to be those behind the actual production. It just likely won't be uh, in China uh, in many cases. So uh, this is going to be part of the inflation story over the next probably decade or so as we diversify our supply chains. But don't think that China is going away. I think it's going to be kind of a slow slide as these businesses will take probably a decade to fully diversify out of that region. I'm Justin Klein with Luke Carrero. This completes another Invest Talk program. Steve Peasley and I thank you for listening. And we encourage you to tell your friends and family about our free podcast downloads, which you can find anytime at iTunes, Spotify, Google Play. And be sure to rate and review on iTunes as well. Independent thinking, shared success. This is Invest Talk. Good night. Invest Talk is a trademark of KPP Financial. Because of the nature of the interactive dialogue inherent in the format of this program, it's important for the listener to understand that not all comments made will apply to them. Specifically, nothing said shall be taken to be investment advice. 
or shall statements on this program be considered an offer to buy or sell security. Because such advice is rendered solely on an individual basis and at times will require that the investor review a prospectus before investing. InvestTalk is a copyrighted program of Klein, Pavlis, and Peasley Financial, a registered investment advisor firm which retains all rights. For more information regarding KPP's investment advisors, call 1-800-557-5461. Steve Peasley is president and Justin Klein is chief executive officer of Klein, Pavlis, and Peasley Financial. Thank you for listening and your comments and questions are welcome on our 24-hour listener line at 888-99-CHART.